Four series at 2-0, the other four at 1-1, and a shock that Draymond Green was suspended for a game? That's the NBA playoff scenario to date in a nutshell, as I'll uncover that. I told you about the Wild Wild West in the NHL as seeds 5-8 through eight all win game one, and all the Boston Bruins on the ropes after a surprising loss to Florida last night. Clayton Kershaw wins his 200th game, Max Scherzer gets ejected, and the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. tonight highlights what's happening on the diamond. Tua Tagovailoa mulled retirement. The fight to save boxing as a highly anticipated fight on Saturday night between Gervonta Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia will take place. Quite a bit to store up in the sports kitchen as I'll serve it on a platinum platter. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's been an uneven, up and down week, but that will never stop yours truly from delivering all the tea on what the sports universe has to offer, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, it has been a wild, crazy, uneven, up-and-down week. I understand some people may be like, Jay Reels, just get to the sports, we don't want to hear what's happening in your life, but I'm playing a little bit injured as I have a head cold for the last few days, so if I sound a little stuffy, you know the reason why, and this is from someone who rarely gets sick. In fact, the last time I got sick, just to share with you guys and gals, was 15 months ago when I got COVID in January of 2022, and thankfully, the worst that I even get from any type of cold, flu, fever, sickness, whatever you want to call it, is just that. I'll get the sore throat, the runny nose, blowing my nose left and right, clearing my throat, not to get into the ugly specifics, but... Thankfully, I'm a guy that does not get bedridden. Even when I had COVID, I had the taste and even the sense of smell knocked out. Didn't feel weak. Didn't get all those symptoms that we've heard about over the last almost, what, over three years? I was going to say almost three years, but it's been over three years when you think about it. But I will fight through. You know, there will be nothing that will stop me from 
putting out these podcasts because not only do I enjoy it, I love it, but I want my people, my listeners, followers, fans, whatever you guys and gals may be, to be apprised and in tune with what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. So let's turn our attention to that. And a little bit of a twist to start. I know with the NBA playoffs starting over the weekend and them getting a jump just a couple of days ahead of the NHL, I want to start there with the hockey, only because when we last talked Monday, even though the podcast was released Tuesday morning, I was getting into how the Western Conference was one of these storylines as, you could say every team, but I said seven teams could actually come out of the West to represent in a Stanley Cup Final. And what we saw in the first two nights on Monday and Tuesday were the five through eight seeds winning on the road, upset fashion, and having a leg up on their series against the powerhouses that are the Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, the Edmonton Oilers, and also the Dallas Stars. And how we get to see as we get into the fourth night, and yesterday you had a little bit of a bounce there with the Stars in full attack mode, beating the Wild 7-3, and then Edmonton getting back on the beam. And that was a bad loss for Edmonton there on Monday night. They had a 2-0 lead and a 3-1 lead, and they squandered that to where L.A. in the overtime happened to win and come back from, like I said, a 3-1 deficit in the third period. And L.A., we know that they've been nip and tuck all year in that Pacific Division with Edmonton and even with Vegas. And for them to get that win, I thought it was huge. But to me, it was more of a bad loss for the Oilers because they've been coming into this postseason just steamrolling. And if you've listened to me over the last few weeks, I've extolled the praises of a one Connor McDavid. I felt that this was a huge year for him to get to a Stanley Cup Final to put his face on the map for the average and casual sports fan. If you're a diehard sports fan, you know who Connor McDavid is. You know that he is a MVP and is probably going to be a back-to-back MVP based on his exploits this year. What do they have? 65 goals, 150 points. The guy is just otherworldly. I said it. He is the invisible superstar in all of sport. And for them to lose that game in the way they did was just bad. And even last night, they jumped out to a 2-0 lead. And that pretty pass by McDavid to Leon Dreisaitl in the first period. And you thought, all right, here we go. Off and running. It's the same script from game one. The Kings bounce back. They get the equalizer there in the third period to where the Edmonton Oilers, excuse me, in the second period, but then the Oilers were able to get a goal there early in the third period and then were able to prevail there late with an empty netter and win 4-2 to even their series, which was similar to what Dallas did against Minnesota after losing game one in double overtime, I might add. So we've already had a few overtime games and we know that the epic overtime whether it's the double, triple, even quadruple, as we've seen throughout these springs over the last few decades. But even with that, and with the Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche, these are the one and two seeds in that conference. The Golden Knights, who had a great year, especially coming off a year where they did not make it to the postseason. And then, as we've talked about, when you have a goaltender like Connor Hellebuck, a guy who can steal not only a game, but even a series. And if the Jets have any chance to win this series as an eighth seed, it's going to be on the shoulders of their goaltender. And what you saw there the other night, combine that with a couple of goals by Adam Lowry, Blake Wheeler had three points, 
And the Winnipeg Jets, now granted, Hellebuck only had to make 16 saves. But when you get a leg up on a series, and I talked about this last week when I detailed what was going on in the NBA, how if you're a big underdog, how those odd number games are huge to win in a series in order for a team to pull off that upset. So whether that means you win game one, game three, game five, any one of those combinations will certainly be golden no pun intended, considering that they're playing against the Golden Knights. But that's how Winnipeg's going to win this series. Because as we know, the Golden Knights do have the home ice. And as it is right now, if Winnipeg could just even steal another game, which would be a shock, I would think Vegas will bounce back. And the same for Colorado, which we'll get to in a second. But that is a win where, not that it leaves your head scratching if you're Vegas. You figure, hey, we had a stinker. We did not play well. But can Winnipeg build off this to the point where, after a 5-1 win, Solid throughout. Can they go ahead and take this series back to Winnipeg, up 2-0, to even put a stranglehold? Not to say a sweep, because I don't think that will happen. And I think even if that does happen, Vegas can win two games in Winnipeg. But this is the beauty of the Stanley Cup playoffs, because unlike the NBA and even baseball to a certain degree, but I'll compare it to the fall and winter sport, if a team goes up to love on the road in eight seed, which is very rare, as we know, but you do not get that upset or you do not get any drama when you have the top seed and the bottom seed or even the 2-7 to where the series could go six or seven games. But in the NHL, we've seen that over the years. So let's see if the Jets could have some legs and see if they could extend this series much further than a lot of people have anticipated. And to segue that to Colorado and Seattle, the Kraken first ever playoff game. And what do they do? Not only did they win 3-1, to one, but on top of that, the former goaltender of the Colorado Avalanche, Philippe Grubauer, comes out victorious. And we know Grubauer is a guy who has been hot and cold and a guy that the Avalanche couldn't really rely on in between the pipes. And here he is coming into his first playoff game as a member of the Kraken. And we all know it's their first ever postseason game. And with Colorado, the defending Stanley Cup champ, and they did exactly what they had to do. They played their style of game. Colorado, you know they want to play up and down the ice with a bunch of their fast skaters. And here we are with both of those one eight two seven seeds in the Western Conference, both up 1-0. And can they extend their series as far as they could possibly go when a lot of people thought that this could be anywhere between four to six games tops in this first round? And the one thing will be interesting about Seattle, as I mentioned on my podcast early in the week, that crowd in the Pacific Northwest, I'm sure after that win more so, they're going to be anticipating what that arena, the atmosphere, I'm sure it is going to be all out knowing that the defending cup champs are going to come into their building at best, it could be 2-0 Seattle, but at worst 1-1 and the buzz to see what that's going to be like, I'm sure that's Maybe not must-watch, but I would certainly love to be in tune as to what's going to happen there once the series goes back to Seattle later on in the week. So that's what you have there out west. And then when we transition to the east, you have a couple of series that right now are going to kind of hang in the balance when you think about the Islanders. And I'll start there. I was going to save them for last, but I might as well bring them up because the game was just last night. And the Islanders, who lost 2-1 in Game 1, they got Matthew Barzal back there, I think, 
Overall, their best player, I get it, you could say Brock Nelson is their best goal scorer, and even Bo Horvat bringing him in from Vancouver, he's a guy that's a sniper, and you have to pay attention to, but when Barzal, he is the playmaker, he is almost like the point guard of the team, and he made a contribution last night, and a big one, when the Islanders again were down 2-0, they came back to tie the game there with a goal midway through the third period, and then the goal late, which are always key, Because when you get a goal in the final minute or two, especially under a minute left to go in the period, and where Barzal gets the goal to tie the game, that's when all the momentum shifted. And we saw that into the third period to where Brock Nelson gets the goal, the go-ahead at 9-18 of the third. And as an Islander fan like myself, all I thought was they have to hang on here. Now, they should still continue to put the offensive pressure, and they weren't able to do so. Just three minutes later, Carolina scores, so they tie the game. So now you go into overtime, and the Islanders' overtime record throughout their illustrious history, especially in the postseason. Now, granted, I know those cup years, the drive for five, a lot of that success and a lot of those overtime wins came during that dynasty period. And after that, you have a lot of mix and match, and you don't really have a lot of succession when it comes to the postseason, as we know. But we're only hoping as an Islander fan, to think if they could go in there, win the game in overtime, bring it back to the UBS on Friday night, and have their first playoff game ever in that building, of what that would be like, considering the old barn out in the Nassau Coliseum from the last time they were in the postseason. That's what I was hoping, that they would just be able to go in there, get that overtime magic, steal the game, and then let's see where the series will take us from game three on. But as it was, and there was a little bit of controversy, on the game-winning goal by the... Hurricanes by Jesper Fast. Just seconds before that, defenseman Scott Mayfield took a stick to the face. It should have been called. You have two referees on the ice for a reason. And how they missed that, where Mayfield went down as the stick hit him right in the face. He's barking at the ref after the goal was scored. Should have been an eye on the power play. I get it that it's human error. Referees, officials, umps, etc. They're going to miss calls. But the reason why you have two referees out there is to get that coverage from both sides of the ice and how they missed that was beyond me I know Lane Lambert the coach of the Islanders didn't really argue as he did have that side eye going off the ice but that was just a gut punch knowing that the Islanders could have and should have had a power play and instead it turns to an 0-2 hole for the Islanders coming back to Long Island or the Queens Nassau border there out where we look at the Islanders having to drag their tail between their legs to get back in the series Friday night to see if they can do so against a hurricane team that is flying and got a big break there by winning game two. And as far as the rest of the series, I couldn't even tell you. I would think the Islanders will get back in the series. I'm curious to know how that crowd is going to be come Friday night. And there's a quick turnaround because you have Friday night at 7, and then you have a 1 o'clock game on Sunday, which I hate. Because that, to me, is more of an advantage to the Hurricanes. Because if the Hurricanes go up 3-love, then the turnaround time is going to be advantageous to Carolina. And let's say if the Islanders do win a grind-out, tough, let's say, 3-2 game. And yes, they're back in the series. But then now, I get it. Same for Carolina. They also have to wake up and play an early Sunday matinee game as well. But, again, to me, that bows the team who has the advantage in the series, whether they're up 2-1 or in this case, if they're going to be up three, love. But that we'll wait and see. We have to worry about Friday night before we get to Sunday. And then you have the Boston Bruins. And to me, that's the bigger story right now because, yes, they did win game one, 3-1, no shock there. But last night, 
they beat themselves. They were sloppy. They just did not play Bruins hockey. The goalie, Linus Omark, was not good in net. And before you know it, the game got out of hand there in the third period to where the, I get it, you had a couple of empty net goals. Really the one empty net goal now that I think about it. But a 2-2 game quickly became a 5-2 game, then a 6-2 game before the Bruins tacked on a goal there late to make it 6-3. But that was, I believe, with less than a minute to go. But the Bruins, now, this is a game that you probably throw in the toilet. I understand. But Florida can score, as we talked about in the preview. And I know that the Panthers, they do not have a big home ice down there in South Florida. We've seen the Panthers in big spots blow games, as we've seen over the last couple of years, especially to Tampa. But now you have a scenario where the Bruins, are they on the ropes? Now the series is tied. I know I mentioned that from the opening. That's just to kind of reel you guys and gals in. And even though I'm not big on the clickbait issue, but the one thing I will say about that game last night, and yes, as much as you could just flush it, it was just a poor performance overall by the Bruins. But now you're giving the Panthers a little life. And knowing that they're going to have the next two games in their building, and they know that they can win a game, despite the fact that the Bruins beat themselves, but they can win a game in Boston that even if they go back to Beantown there early next week, 2-2, that they could win a game up there from a psychological perspective, that's going to be big. And I understand that we have to get to that point in order to really find out, and you would think that the Bruins, this was just a hiccup along the way to a Stanley Cup final, but it's now breathed some life into the series to know that the Bruins are far from perfect and that they're beatable. And knowing that the Panthers have goal scoring, they have firepower, and I understand that defense and goaltending is very susceptible to just spitting the bit, especially when you have a guy like, and I understand he wasn't in net last night, Sergei Bobrovsky, you had the backup Alex Lyon, and nobody's going to be confusing him with Patrick Waugh or Martin Brodeur from Cups Pass from Montreal or New Jersey or even Colorado, I got to give Waugh's props there as you want a cup or a couple cups in Colorado. But for Florida, now they feel as if they could not only just be in the series, but play with the Bruins. And it showed by the way that third period unraveled there for the Bruins. And funny enough, as I'm watching that third period, because the Island game was over at that time, and frustration, you saw the Bruins would try to stir things up and try to get into a couple of fisticuffs with the Panther players. And I just laughed at that, because how I look at it was, If this was 30, 35 years ago, and I'll give you a great example in a second, but when you see players fighting with their gloves on, that's when you know that you just have to laugh it off, especially if you're an old guy like me who has watched playoff hockey in the 80s and early 90s to where that would have gotten ugly quick, fast, in a hurry, and in 2023, it is downright laughable. And my example is, and you can go on YouTube to find this, If you type in 1988 Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabres, you had games in that series where you had over 300 minutes in penalties. Let's start there. And I know for the young guy, 300 minutes in penalties? What is that? Oh, that's got to be just a black eye to the sport. That's not hockey, so on and so forth. Watch those highlights and you get back to me and what you watched at the end of that game, it is night and day to what we saw there yesteryear than yesterday. So, I'm just going to put that out there for you guys and gals to, if you want to do a little homework or if you want to do a little research to see for yourself. But that was a series that was just ugly from the start. Fights everywhere and guys jumping on the guys. I loved it. 
it was sending messages, it was letting out frustration the right way, not two guys trying to fight each other with their gloves on and pretty much their sticks wedged in between one another. That's just a farce. But I digress. So let's see what happens with the Bruins as the series shifts to South Florida there on Friday. And then you had the Rangers and Devils. The Rangers pretty much right out of the gate blew the Devils' doors off. And I feel that with the Rangers having a lot of depth, and of course the goaltender, which I didn't mention during the preview, Igor Shosturkin, we know he's a top-flight goalie, and he could carry his team far into this postseason. And the Devils, I guess you got to look at that game as one to just erase from your memory and try to regroup tonight to get back in the series because if they go down 0-2, back to Madison Square Garden over the weekend, who knows? They may not even come out of that series alive when it's all said and done. And what I mean by that is get swept. And that would be bad considering the Devils had an excellent year, second in the Metropolitan Division. And if they don't show up, and I think they will tonight, I think they'll bounce back. I may be nip and tuck. I'm not going to say the Devils are going to return their favor and win 5-1, but who knows? With the Rangers, and a lot is expected out of them this year based on them going to a conference final last year. So that's something to keep in mind. And then you have, I saved this one for last, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They got booed off the ice at the end of the first period. The Tampa Bay Lightning looked like they hadn't missed the beat. We know the run that they've had over the last three years. And Toronto, as I said on the podcast, now Tuesday, I understand that this may not be all or nothing, but let's face it, this is an all or nothing series for the Maple Leafs. And for them to get off to that start, and I get it, they were down 3 nothing, and then they got themselves back to 3-2, and then Tampa just took over and won 7-3. And now you really have to wonder, the doubt, just the, everything that's probably creeping into the mindset, not only of just the players, the coaching staff, the front office, the fans, the city, I mean, all of that is just, I said it the other day, cutting the tension with a butter knife, I think you could cut the tension with your index finger. That's how thick it is, and you don't even need a sharp object to do that. So, the Maple Leafs need to bounce back in a big way tonight. And think about this. Last year, they won Game 1 of that opening round series against Tampa, 5 nothing. And just when you thought you were off and flying and thinking, all right, maybe this is the type of win we needed to get the series on the right track and the right direction, and of course, they lost Game number 2. Maybe this will be in reverse Maybe they could look at this and say, uh-uh, we have to come out, guns a-blazing, we cannot go back to Tampa down 0-2 because that series will be over, if you ask me. The psyche of this team, I don't want to say it's shot right now, but uh, they cannot, absolutely not, go to Tampa down 0-2 in this series. If they do, they're not going to win. And then the questions are going to be asked, and you have to wonder whether or not they may have to even blow this team up. And I get it. The talent is not matching the performance in April. They can't even get out of April, so I won't even say May and June. But how can a team have big guns? As I mentioned, Austin Matthews, one of the top players in the sport. Mitch Marner, who is a perennial all-star and scores goals by the bunches. John Tavares, especially here in New York. We know the type of captain, the type of leader he is. And of course, we know that he is a threat on the ice no matter where he's playing. Obviously, he's a center, but his veteran leadership and his skills, I mean, you could question his leadership from just a rah-rah perspective, and we know he's carries a big stick but doesn't really have that big voice. He's not a rah-rah guy, but 
him, William Nylander. You have a bunch of guys in here that have done it on the ice in the regular season, but it has not been able to translate that here in the playoffs. In game one, I'm not going to make it out to be the end-all, be-all, but it's a micro of the macro when it comes to this team. And let's see what's going to happen tonight as is going to be a lot of drama. There's going to be a lot of tension in that building. The fan base knows that this team needs to win tonight or it's pretty much a bust. So a lot of the hockey world is going to be focusing on what happens north of the border tonight to see if Toronto could get out of that series even and to the panhandle to see how that's going to unfold over the weekend on whether Toronto is going to be able to bounce back and bounce back in a big way, not just win tonight, but get themselves in a situation to where either they come back home 2-2 at the very least or even 3-1 and see if they could close out their series on home ice. And one more time, I get it that it's not the 80s and 90s when it comes to physicality, when it comes to intimidation, when it comes to sending a message. Because to me, that was the hockey that I watched, the playoff hockey that I watched growing up as a teenager, young adult, etc. That sport is gone. And there's no need to belabor it. But I will say this. The drama of the Stanley Cup playoffs is unlike any other. Yes, I get it. You could get that with baseball. As you saw last year, as the Padres finally beat the Dodgers. And even Philadelphia beating Atlanta. But they manhandled the Braves. It wasn't as if that went five games. And the same for the Padres-Dodgers. It's not as if that went five games, but... The Padres have always been the stepbrother to the Dodgers and they were finally able to beat them in a big spot. But my point is, is that with the NHL, you just don't know what you're going to get. And what we've seen here in the first three days has pretty much exemplified that and then some. Now let me turn my attention to the NBA and you had some drama early and now it seems to start to level off here a little bit when it comes to the series And the three series I'm just going to put to rest and not even get into. I'm not getting into Brooklyn and Philadelphia because the Nets, maybe they'll win a game tonight as game three and their series will resume in Brooklyn. And maybe they'll have some pride to show some toughness. Now they were in the game in game two, but then the Sixers took over in the fourth quarter and then that was it. So let's see if the Nets could hang in there and make it at least a little bit interesting tonight. If not, that could be a sweep. The Hawks are no match for the Celtics as we've seen. And now that series will shift tomorrow in Atlanta. So can the Hawks maybe get a Game 3? It's quite possible, but I think the Celtics, they're going to want to make quick work just like they did last year against Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie. I'm sure they're probably thinking the same to not only be able to put this series to rest, if not in four, but in five, to get that rest, to get their team Back on the beam as far as their health goes. Because as we all know, Nixon bruises throughout the course of a season when you're Robert Williams, Marcus Smart. And even though you have the young guns with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But when you have Al Horford and the aforementioned Smart. And even Robert Williams, we know he's a young guy. But he's had knee injuries over the last year plus as we saw last year in the postseason. And then now even into this season. I think you just want to put the Hawks to rest. And look forward to possibly, and more in all likelihood, will be playing the Sixers in round two. And then you have Denver last night beating Minnesota. And what more can I say there? That's going to be quick work for the Nuggets as the series will now go to the Twin Cities. So to now put that aside as we get to the other series, and I'll start with last night. 
I know the Lakers without John Morant and who knows where we're going to see him as far as in this series, whether that be game three, game four with that wrist injury. But last night you had a big contribution from Xavier Tillman who had two points in game one and had 22 last night to go along with 13 rebounds. And then of course, Dylan Brooks has to open his mouth saying in the post game that he was poking the bear, meaning LeBron James joined with him. And I understand that's his game. That's his shtick. That just gets the team to rally around their bravado, their confidence, their swag, whatever you want to call it. And I understand it's good to have a player like that on your team. But when you haven't really done anything, and yes, you've had two very good regular seasons, but you haven't done really anything in the postseason, the last thing you want to do is, to use his words, poke the bear, or knowing that the series is 1-1 and could come back to Memphis 3-1 without the presence of John Morant. And we're going to have to wait and see. I think the Lakers, there's still enough in that tank to at least push this series to a 6th or even 7th game. I think the series is going to come back to Memphis 2-2. Memphis has shown you that they do have some grit. They do have some toughness in how they performed there yesterday, even without their superstar player. So I think this could be a long series. I think it's going to go at least 6 And we'll see this as the series now goes to La La Land. And we'll pick up where we left off here over the weekend. And then you have the Suns and Clippers where Phoenix, we saw them rise to the challenge after a poor first half by Devin Booker. He ends up scoring 38. And as I said there on the podcast the other day, if Kevin Durant and Devin Booker aren't going to contribute anywhere between, I'll say, 55 to 65 points a night, I thought maybe KD would have the 37-point night and then Booker will have the 28-point night. But it was in reverse where Booker had 38 and took care of the Clippers there where now let's see how this is going to play out. Who knows what's going to happen with Paul George and his health status. That is a big question mark. But I would think that this series does have some length. It does have legs. But it's all going to be contingent on what the Clippers do to me in a Game 3. Can they win a game four down 2-1? I think they can, but I would think that with the Suns, if they were to be able to get a game three in LA, they're going to smell blood. They're going to know that let's put these guys out and step on their necks now. Let's not let them get themselves back in the series to make it 2-2, to make this a best of three, and then it'll be a crapshoot from then on out, especially knowing what Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers did in game one. So I would think that's a series that a lot of people are going to look forward to. And let's see if George does come back at some point. It's highly unlikely, but who knows? Miracles can happen. And since the dearly departed Willis Reed, by any means not to compare Paul George to Willis Reed, but maybe the Clippers will have their Willis Reed moment and an unexpected return by Paul George and gives you a contribution or at least builds a little bit of, I'm not going to say confidence, But maybe some presence will energize the locker room. And who knows what that could do for a Clipper team that's looking to see if they could get back to a conference final against a team that they lost in a conference final two years ago, and that being the Suns. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Then you have the Cavaliers getting back in the series against the Knicks. I know I'm all over the map here with these series after the 2-0 series that we discussed. But here locally, Knicks-Cavs, Again, I think this is going to be a long series. Darius Garland had a big contribution there after the opening game jitters, his first playoff action in his career. 
And he made a big contribution there the other night. I believe he scored, what, 26 in the game. But for this series, I think there's probably going to have minimum six, I think seven games written all over it. I could see Cleveland getting a split here in one of these next two games. It's not automatic for the Knicks to win these two games. It's not as if they have that home court of years past, a la Ewing, Oakley, John Starks, etc. So I could see them splitting here. I could even say that the Cavs could win a game five in their building and then win a game six. But I could also see the Knicks winning a game five, Cleveland winning a game six at the Garden and going back to Cleveland for game seven. So this is another unpredictable series and we do not know what we're going to get from that as I think that's a good thing. Anytime you get that 4-5 matchup, the same with the Clippers and Suns, you have the opportunity or the chance for that series to go long. And then you had the Bucks break even with the Heat last night as they tied a record for most three-pointers. They made 25 last night. Of course, without Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was out with the back injury that he suffered in Game 1. Who knows what his status is going to be for Game 3. But... The Bucks, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll win this series even without Giannis, as I mentioned there on Tuesday. So the Heat without Tyler Hero in their own right as he broke his hand there in Game 1. So is that series going to have any length considering that the Knicks, Cavs, Clippers, Suns, even Lakers and Memphis, that all those series could have the potential to go six or seven games? Do I see that here in this series even without Giannis? I can't say I do. I think the Bucs have enough to beat the Heat as it is unless the Heat are going to go back a year ago in that time machine to where they're going to play defense and they're going to be disciplined, get big shots, be able to... We know that home crowd is nothing down there, but I think the Bucs are going to be fine and I would think Giannis will make a return at some point, whether that would be Game 3, Game 4. That we'll have to wait and see, but I think the Bucs will be in good stead here now that they got... A win under their belt in the series. And I saved this for last. I could have started off with this. And there's another series that is 2-0. But I think is far from over. Unlike the other 2-0 series leads that we talked about a few minutes ago. But for Golden State and Sacramento. And the Kings held home court. They did what they had to do. Now they have a cushion to know that if they lose the next two games. They're going back home. But I understand you don't want to flirt with that knowing that you could rest on your laurels as a young team, a team that's been here for the first time, to think that, all right, we have a safety net, knowing that if we do lose the next two, we'll have game five in our building. You don't want to toe that line of danger because Golden State can win a game on the road, although they've been atrocious on the road all year, and as evidenced in these first two games. Granted, that game one was hotly contested and it was close, and The Warriors had a shot to take the lead there in the final seconds of game one. But be that as it may, I think that the Kings, if they were to steal one of the next two, I would think the series is going to be over. I understand it's the defending champs. I get it that they are the Warriors, that even down 3-1, they can win a series. Understood. But I think it's going to be a lot to overcome based on how this year has gone for them. They were milling at 500 all year long. They were terrible on the road, as I mentioned. And do I expect them to just flick the switch, as I've talked about? Check those receipts and podcasts, not only weeks ago, but months ago? I don't see it. And then you have the Draymond Green suspension, where a lot of people are up in arms over how Sabonis should have been responsible or also should have been suspended for his actions when he held on to the ankle or the leg of Draymond Green. And then Draymond Green, at that point, proceeded to step on his chest. 
There were people that I heard up in arms. How could you suspend Draymond? This was all premeditated by Sabonis trying to maybe get into Draymond Green's head, which we know that's not going to happen. But Sabonis, he shouldn't have done what he did. And I'm sure when he fell to the floor and he saw Draymond there and just decided to grab his ankle for whatever the reason, all Draymond had to do was just yank his leg from the grasp of Sabonis and maybe give him a stare where he would have gotten a technical. But instead, he gives him a stare and then he steps on his chest. So A, he deserved to be thrown out. And B, he deserved to be suspended, not only based on his reputation, but you can't get away with stepping on somebody's chest. Watch the video. Watch that highlight again. And I don't care if he tapped his chest. We knew that the intention was there. And for him to do that, and let's say if he got away with just a fine, is ludicrous. Because even if it was a guy that was a first offender, and I get it, he's the moment you have a guy grabbing on you, and the next thing you know, when you pull away from that, your first inclination is to react and to do something like that. But to literally plant his size 16 or whatever the foot size is of Draymond Green right across the crest of his jersey and the number, etc. You cannot let him get away or anybody away with that by any means. I don't care if you had the nicest guy on the planet. Do that. It is unacceptable. And for Draymond, we know his track record. Do I have to go through all the incidents? Even the biggest one in 2016, Game 4, when he kicked LeBron in the groin. Got suspended for game five, and we know how that turned out. So I don't want to hear, oh, Draymond didn't deserve it. All right, maybe he should have gotten tossed, but for, for him to get suspended for one game, which he's already going to be suspended for in this game three upcoming. And who knows, maybe that will ignite the Warriors to galvanize them to maybe get back in the series, not only to win a game three, but even a game four. All right, maybe that will be the case, but we'll have to wait and see. But I thought that was preposterous. How a lot of people thought that Draymond shouldn't have been suspended. The Stephen A. Smiths of the world. Even my guy, Mad Dog Russo. But anytime you're going to step on somebody's chest, I'm sorry. There's no way that you could just, all right, here's a $25,000 fine. Uh-uh. Not this guy. That cannot be acceptable or it's uncalled for. All that. So that is my two shiny red cents when it comes to that scenario. And that's what you have here in the postseason. Let's see how this is going to play out here over the next few days before we reconvene there on Monday, not only just in the NBA, but obviously in the NHL as we get into the first round of both of those sports as we're getting started here on the quest for both an NBA champion and a Stanley Cup champion to boot. All right, now as I turn my attention to baseball, as I lace up the cleats and a couple of news and notes here from the last few days, tonight you have the return of a one Fernando Tatis Jr., He of the San Diego Padres, and we know the past year for him has just been an absolute nightmare. A guy that was arguably a top five player in the sport. I believe was, what, second in the MVP voting a few years back, I think the year of the bubble, where we had the 60-game season. And a guy that his star has fallen off of a cliff between the injuries, the suspension, him trying to regain the trust of his teammates in the locker room. And based on what I've read here over the last 24 hours, of course, they're going to support him. He signed that big contract. That's another thing that you got to think about, too. He signs the big money, and then everything that ensued after that has just been a nightmare. But his teammates, they have his back. They're going to greet him with open arms. You would only hope that he's grown from this, 
You would hope that he would just want to be one of the guys, not a guy that's going to all of a sudden take over or be a guy that's going to now be the face of the franchise considering the contract that he signed. But you also got to remember, Manny Machado signed his deal 11 years this offseason as well as Xander Bogarts. We know about Juan Soto as he's going to be a free agent after next year. So he's going to be one of the guys. He's not the one that everybody's going to turn to in the locker room to be the savior or the one that everybody's going to rally around. And I'm sure that when he's going to meet up with his teammates, if he hasn't done so already, and I believe he has, but he knows that he just has to be him, be the electrifying defensive player. Now, granted, he's probably going to play right field because he's not going to play shortstop, as we know. And he's going to have to blend in. He's not going to be one that people are going to turn to in that locker room. And let's see if his ego and everything that he's achieved so far in the early part of his career, and mind you, he's only been in the league, what, four years? How he's going to be able to come into that locker room, be humble, just put his head down, do the work, put up big numbers, be the player that he can be a top five player in the sport or a top three perennial MVP candidate, whatever you want to call it. Hopefully he could get back to being that guy and one that we could look at and enjoy from afar or up close, whether you're in a ballpark or not, and just enjoy his exploits and not have to deal with all the nonsense that has happened here over the last year and a half. And hopefully he could stay out of his own way and not get himself in trouble, whether it's on motorcycles or nightclubs or, God forbid, another PED suspension, etc. So with... Tatis back in that lineup, and we all know that's a lethal one for all those aforementioned players that I touched on. So that's the first thing to keep in mind for baseball as we take a look to see how he's going to do this weekend as the Padres will invade Arizona and play the Diamondbacks. Number two is yesterday Max Scherzer getting ejected in the fourth inning because the umps inspected his hand and two gloves of him doctoring baseballs. And what Scherzer said in the postgame, how it was just a combination of sweat and rosin, how he was able to try to wipe that off in between innings where he had an MLB official inspect him while he was washing his hands, but with the rubbing alcohol and soap, water, it still wasn't able to completely erase whatever sticky substance was on his hand or maybe was transferred to his glove. Umpire Phil Cuzzy had him go back twice to make sure that he was getting the substance off of his hand and glove. Even after the second glove, there was some sticky substance. And all Scherzer said in the postgame is that that's what Cuzzy said. Your hands are still sticky. The gloves are still sticky. And ejected him from the game. Now, with that ejection, is going to come a suspension, which will be five games, which will miss a start. And this is after him missing a start because I believe it was he had a back issue which he should have started three games ago in Oakland, or three days ago, whatever. But for Scherzer now to get caught, and listen, we can only go by what he says, knowing that he had the official over his shoulder as he's washing his hands between innings, and going out there, and Cousy just saying that you have a sticky substance. And to me, it didn't look like Scherzer was trying to doctor the ball, or trying to get that competitive advantage. Again, I'm not trying to be an apologist for a player on a team that I love, but... Maybe this is something you keep in the back of your mental Rolodex to see moving forward how this is going to play out, especially if you have that same umpiring crew led by Phil Cuzzy 
sometime in the summer where they're going to be on Scherzer's case when it comes to that. And as we know, when you get into the dog days of summer and the heat, humidity, where it's sweat's going to be all over and who knows what the rosin or any of that buildup is going to mean with Scherzer already being targeted, that's something we're going to have to maybe keep an eye on and pay attention to, especially, you know, I will as a Met fan. But Scherzer, did he get a raw deal there? Maybe he did, but I would think that because there was a stalling of the game, and as we all know, the pace of the game is a lot faster than what it was in the last decade or so. I'm sure they probably thought, enough of the shenanigans, let's eject Scherzer, get another pitcher out here, and away we go. Was it unfair? Maybe to a certain extent it was, but I get maybe they thought that Scherzer was just not necessarily why would he buy time. He's not going to do that. He's going to argue his case. So maybe it was a little bit premature for them to eject him. I did not watch this live. I just watched the highlights in the post game. So that's what you have there with Scherzer. I don't know if he's going to be able to appeal that because I believe that's a guaranteed one game or five game suspension, whatever it is. So we'll see what happens there with Scherzer here in the next day or so. And then you had Clayton Kershaw with his 200th career victory. Kudos to him. He got that against the Mets there on Tuesday night as the Mets won two out of three in LA. As now they go up the coast of San Francisco. But for Scherzer, we know he's going to be a lock Hall of Famer. We get it that his regular season numbers do not translate to his postseason success. And even though he's had some moments in the postseason as we've seen over the years, but he's had a lot of bad games in October than he's had in a regular season where he's won three Cy Youngs. He's won an MVP. He also got to consider that as well. But Kershaw, congratulations to him as we know he's had an illustrious career. But you also have to wonder with his health history, his back in particular, has always been a nuisance. Let's see if that's going to happen throughout the course of the year as we know the Dodgers are going to need him in the worst way because as they stand right now, they're currently 9-10. and 10. And what is it? Eh, I think a game and a half behind the Diamondbacks. Actually, two games in the NL West. So we'll have to wait and see how the Dodgers and how their season is going to play out here as they have gotten out the gate here rather sluggish. Other than that, everything is pretty much the same. Give it up for the Marlins. They're 10-9 after almost 20 games and an eighth of the season in. I bring that up only because you have the Braves and the Mets there in the top two. 14-5 for Atlanta, 12-7 for the Mets. Texas Rangers with a three-game lead over the Angels, and they're here in town against the Yankees, where Otani hit a home run there a couple nights ago and got robbed of a home run by Aaron Judge there last night as they split the first two games in the rubber match. Yankee Stadium, 4-5 today before the Angels get out of Dodge. And the Rays, who have won two in a row, they've lost three of four in that stretch where they went to Toronto, lost two out of three, and then they lost the first game of the series to the Reds, but they've won the back end of that. So they still have a four and a half game lead over the Yankees and Orioles in the AL East. And the Rangers once again, 12 and six, three game lead over the Angels. And Jacob DeGrom had the lever start the other night because I believe, was it a wrist? Something had some tightness, whatever it may be. And you know, you're going to have to treat DeGrom with kid gloves. He's going to be 35 this year and we know his injury history. So although he's given that rotation a big boost, and other than the game on opening day, which he did not pitch well, three and two-thirds was out of there after giving up five runs and six hits. He's actually pitched well, had a no-hitter through four innings before he had to be removed in that game. So something you got to monitor there if you're the Rangers, if you're going to have any success this year and even be in the race, you're going to need the Grom big time to pitch at least 
28 starts. You'd like him for 32 or 33, but we'll see. But that's what you have with the baseball. Now, let me turn my attention to the NFL real quick as I put on the shoulder pads and helmet. And with the draft a week away, I'll talk a little bit more about that next week, more so on next Thursday's podcast, because you have the opening round next Thursday, then rounds two and three on Friday, and then, of course, Saturday you'll have the four through seven of the NFL draft, which is going to be in Kansas City, the town of the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. But the news that came out yesterday about Tua Tagovailoa, how he mulled retirement based on the concussions that he had, and we know that he shouldn't have been out there in that game against Buffalo, what was it, week three, where he got knocked to the turf late there, I believe it was in the first half, and then he came out and performed in the third quarter, and you saw him there, punch drunk, just wobbling around the field, and not only did he come back to play in that game, but he came back four days later in Cincinnati on Thursday night national TV or nationally streamed by Amazon, where he got knocked out of the game and he was laying there on the turf to where they had to bring out the gurney and the ambulance And we didn't know what his status was going to be. Later on in the year, he suffered another concussion. And here he was in a press conference yesterday explaining how he and his family at the age of 25 sat down to discuss whether or not that he should retire and walk away from the game. That going back to a boy that he loved and in Alabama, although he had the hip injury and suffered some injuries there in college. And then now here in the pros, we had some success there last year before getting hit to the turf, and sharing his thoughts to the world how, yes, I was this close to calling in a career. And I'm sure the NFL, although they've been more open to the, the discussion of concussions and CTE and the effect that it's had on former players, we could go down the list from Dave Dewerson to Junior Seau, there's so many. Here was the situation where Tua opened up, And thankfully, from what the doctors, and I believe he had three different medical teams, advise him to say that you're clear and that at least going into next year, that he'll be fine. And if it wasn't for that, chances are he probably would have hung up his cleats. And that says a lot. Now, we know Tua Tagovailoa is not 6'5", 240, a la Josh Allen. And that doesn't mean because you're 6'5", 240, that you're impervious to concussions or having the effects of concussions well after a game or season has been played. But we know Tua is not height and stature a guy that's indestructible or borderline indestructible. We know he's a bit of a thing when it comes to him throwing the football and being, what, six feet with high heels on and about 200 pounds tops, maybe less than that. And I understand that could be the big cause of concern if you're a guy like Bryce Young, who's taller than Tua Tagovailoa, but is 185 as far as his weight is concerned. So even though he has good enough height, but if he gets slammed to the turf by a 300-pound lineman, what that's going to do for a guy like that is something to certainly question if you're one of the top teams that could draft a quarterback in next week's draft. But as far as Tua goes, now you got to wonder whether or not Tua has been cleared and everything's all well and good. But now, training camp into the start of the regular season, knowing that if he takes another giant hit or slam to the turf or what have you, could this be the beginning of the end? And as it already is the beginning of the end because of what he suffered last year, but now we're going to have to wait and see when we get to 
September, October, and beyond on whether or not he's going to suffer another concussion and see where we stand at that point. But it's eye-opening for the league, and it's been eye-opening for years. But when you hear a starting quarterback and everything that he endured last year on the field, and for him to say that he was that close, and we've seen a bunch of early retirements throughout the sport, which I get it. It doesn't look good if you're the Shield. And even though the Shield will continue to march on, and people will still buy the merchandise, and the draft is going to be an event, and people are going to wait for fantasy football and get their teams in order and bet week one of the spreads and... FanDuel and DraftKings and all these different websites, we know that the NFL is bulletproof. But unless, and Tua, we understand, he's not Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. This is Patrick Mahomes saying this? Then you'd really have something. But we know Tua, starter, number one pick, Dolphin team that made it to the playoffs last year. That is something that I'm sure the NFL, maybe they didn't want to hear, but I'm sure they didn't like to hear. And let me segue to the last thing, and that's boxing. That's right. Jay Reels is going to talk about a fight here where I thought it was next weekend. And we know usually these big-time bouts usually happen that first Saturday in May, which is indicative of the Kentucky Derby. And then later that night, you have the boxing to go along with the NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs. But on Saturday night in Vegas... You're going to have a bout between Gervonta Tank Davis. If you haven't heard of him to date, well, this will probably be the fight that you're going to want to start to pay attention to. He's going to go up against Ryan Garcia. And these are two guys that, from what I've read, and this is from the mouth of Oscar De La Hoya, which is a bit of a stretch, and I understand he's going to promote his sport and Golden Boy Productions to the hilt. So I get that. But he's already making this fight to be the fight that saves boxing. Now, unless we get 10 more Tank Davises and 10 more Ryan Garcias, and I'm not talking about fighting amongst each other, but the likes of those two guys, and if we could replicate them times 10, then maybe they could save boxing. But right now, I think boxing has been on life support for God knows how long, and I'm sure that's going to be like that for the foreseeable future. But at least for this coming Saturday, it's going to be resuscitated. Because you have a guy in Davis who's 28-0 with 26 knockouts. And you have a guy in Ryan Garcia who's 23-0 and 19 knockouts. How Garcia is looking forward to this matchup to think that he could beat him. And Tank Davis, who, if your name is Tank Davis, you know that you're going to pack a wallop. And what he's planning to do to Garcia... This could be the beginning of a trilogy because you know it's going to be a trilogy. This You could just take this to the bank times 10 that they're going to fight today and I would think you'll probably have a fight if not sometime in the fall, maybe early next year and then you'll have your trilogy if it turns out to be that way whether they split these first two fights. But you know you're going to have at least two, possibly three. But this is a fight that's on my radar going back a few weeks ago and knowing that it's this Saturday night, I have to be all over it. Because if this is going to be as anticipated as Ballyhooed and maybe with the celebrities that are going to be ringside, etc. The one big fight that I haven't been magnetized or attracted to in forever. And you forget about Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Forget about Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. And uh, none of those. This is the one that I'm saying, all right, I'm going to have to pay attention to and watch this fight. 
And let's see if it lives up to the billing. Now, one more time. Is this fight going to save boxing? I doubt it. Could it be a classic fight? I hope so. I don't want to see a fourth round knockout by Tank Davis because I would think he's going to be heavily favored to win this bout. And for Garcia, let's see what he's going to bring based on what I've read because I have not seen Garcia fight hand raised high in the air. But Garcia is a guy that has a very good left hook and is a guy that has, I'll be nice, but doesn't have good footwork. And whenever you have a guy that's just going to swing for the fences and try to get that jackpot of landing that left hook to leave yourself open or to try to get that big punch that's going to do some serious damage, which is going to leave yourself open, that means that Davis is going to feast off that and it could end up in an early dismissal of Garcia. So just keep that in mind as we look to Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, as I would think this is the first big boxing match of the year, and you got to wait, what, four and a half months to get to this point? So be it, or three and a half months, because we're not into May, obviously, we're into the fourth month of the year. But let's see, and I hope it's, everything is advertised up to this point and doesn't fall short of the hype and maybe leads to a second and quite possibly a third fight down the road. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much. I appreciate you stopping by. I appreciate your participation. It is never, ever taken for granted. So thank you so much. Thank you twice, more than once, as I say on occasion. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. It's just going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. One more time, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. If you want to follow me on my socials, Check me out on YouTube, at JReels. Instagram, TikTok, to my followers there. I know I haven't really posted a lot. I've been focusing a lot on the YouTube channel. And I'm planning to put out longer formats on my YouTube channel. So you definitely want to subscribe there if you can. I would, one more time, appreciate that. But Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. Twitter, JReels1, which I'm going to change to the JReels Podcast at some point, I'm not much of a Twitter head, but you can catch me on there as well on occasion, especially when I post up the podcast. And then with an email, you could do so by going to the Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A, T as in Tom, R, E, O, N as in Nancy, dot com, slash the Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, upkeep of the website, the equipment to make this experience into the microphone through your earbuds, speakers, headphones, etc. That much more enjoyable, pleasurable, informative, entertaining. Because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. This is my passion. This is why I do what I do. And trust me, I am here for the long term. I've been here five years. And as long as I'm alive and breathing, I am going nowhere to deliver not only just that passion, but the fire fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise, feelings, on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect.
from the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>